Good morning and a happy and blessed Father's Day to each and every one of you. Great to have you in worship with us today. As, as you know, we're continuing this brief three-week sermon series called Monumental. It corresponds with a theme that we use for Vacation Bible School. And three attributes of God's greatness. Last week, we looked at the fact that our God is a God of surprises. And next week, we'll look at God's deep, deep love for us. But today, we're concentrating on the fact that God is with us everywhere. God is everywhere. Now, it's true that he's in Spain and Scotland and South Africa and Venezuela and St. Louis and North Royalton, and he's at the very farthest reaches of the universe. He's present there, and he's also present in our hearts and minds. But we won't look at God being everywhere geographically this morning. We'll more look at him being in every circumstance. God is everywhere in every circumstance. As you, had, as you heard um, Christina just read, our text for this morning is from the Old Testament prophetic book of Jeremiah, where we read this. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? That's God's language saying, I'm near and I'm far. I'm everywhere. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heaven and the earth, declares the Lord? This is God's word for us this morning. Let's come together in prayer. Father in heaven, we know from your word that you are with us in all circumstances, and there is great comfort in that. There is great comfort in that. Allow us to understand deeply this omnipresent nature and what it means in our lives. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. We pray this for Christ's glory and in his name, and together we all say, amen. Our first stop this morning is that God is with us when we're suffering. He is in our suffering. I've read this text many, many times. Maybe you have too, probably hundreds of times. And I've never really um, spent any time thinking about a verse that I want to highlight. So in Philippians 3, Paul writes, I want to know the power of the resurrection. In other sense, he wants to understand what it was that powered Jesus' resurrection. And then this next key phrase, and the fellowship of his sufferings. What an interesting word that Paul decided to use here, the fellowship of his sufferings, that I am with Christ in his sufferings, and he is with me in my sufferings. It's a strong word to be used that tells us that God is with us in our sufferings. And then he goes on to talk about being conformed to his death, if by any means that I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul wants to know the power of Jesus' resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, that God is with us in our sufferings as well. I want to show you two videos inside the sermon this morning. The first one's a little bit longer, about three minutes. It's from a pastor named Paul David Tripp. He's a good communicator. He's talking about God being with him in his sufferings, specifically through a, a medical um, challenge that he had. So let's watch this video, and I think you'll be encouraged by it. There are two truths that offered huge comfort to me as I went through the unwanted, the unplanned for me, the unthinkable, the unexpected. The first truth was that everything that is outside of my control lives under the control of the one who is my savior. Uh, one of the things that you, you go through that's so painful is just the complete loss of control. Uh, even, even control of the normal decorums of everyday life. I mean, just the, the embarrassing, mortifying things that are done with your body and all the people that are touching and poking you and being naked with people standing around your, your room and things put inside of you and all that you just feel like, do I have any control over anything in my life? And then all the questions of control of, of finances and 
your future capabilities and all those things, to know that not one of those things is outside of the control of the one who gave his life for me is wow. Could it be any, any bigger uh, than that? So, so that, that, that was so precious to me. The, the other thing is the reality of God's presence. One of the passages that I think is enormously encouraging to someone in suffering is Acts 17, where the way that Paul talks about the sovereignty of God is he says that he determines the exact place where I will live and the exact length of my life. And he does this so that he's near, so at any moment we could reach out and touch him. Often when we think of God's sovereignty, we think of it as one of his transcendent qualities. He's actually talking about the imminent sovereignty of God, that God is sovereignly near. That, that teaching puts together the presence of God with the sovereignty of God. So the one who is near me is the same one who's control of all the things that I'm not controlled in control of. That is a beautiful bringing together of two truths that a sufferer needs to know. One, I'm not alone. And two, my life is under careful control. Because you will need to know that what is out of control, the massive amount of things that suddenly are out of control are under the control of the one who is near and who has the power to meet you in the middle of what you have no ability to get yourself out of. God is with you in your suffering. He will be with you all the way through. And just a quick aside here at the end of this point, God's allowing suffering in you not to stop you, but to reroute you. If you're in the middle of that this morning, God's not allowing suffering to stop you. He's allowing it to reroute you. Number two this morning, God is with you when you're lonely. God's with you when you're lonely. The Apostle Paul writes about God being with us through all things, and he writes in Romans 8, I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Many of you are lonely, I know, but God is with you. Pastor Rick Warren has words of encouragement. He writes, if you want an antidote to loneliness, here it is. You will never be separated from God's love. The fact is, we do lose loved ones. If you're married, one of you is going to die first. And you will grieve over that. But if you are a Christian, you'll never be lonely because you can tune into God's love. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ. His love lasts forever, and his love is everywhere. God's with you when you are lonely. A Christian writer named Lydia Brownback wrote a book called Finding God in My Loneliness. Finding God in My Loneliness. This is a second video I want to show you. It's shorter, about 60 seconds. Here's Lydia Brownback talking about God in her loneliness. I remember when I was really lonely at one point, and I didn't want to face it. I didn't want to deal with it. And I kept thinking, if I just had a person to be with, I, I, I wanted to never have to be by myself for an evening or a weekend. And it finally hit me, you know, what I need is not more plans, more people. I don't have to have something lined up for every night or every weekend. I just need to love the Lord more. And I need to sit back and, and remember and realize how much he loves me. And just even the realization of that at a heart level, 
I noticed within a very short amount of time, a matter of days, that my fear of being alone was gone. I, I didn't suddenly need to fill up that space anymore. And I, that isn't unique to me. That's how God, that's what he wants all of us to discover. If we're willing to stop running and turn to him. In scripture, we discover that God is present in our loneliness. He's there in times of grief, in times of discouragement. He's there when others forsake us and when our hopes are disappointed. God is with us in our loneliness, even when that loneliness is caused by our bad decisions and bad choices, our foolishness and our sin. And ultimately, those who belong to God through Jesus Christ are never really alone. And if you're a lonely person, know that God is not only with you in your loneliness, but he's working to let it end. There will be a time when you will be in full family fellowship with all the saints, all the believers in Christ, and with Christ himself. And maybe that's a bit off, but God is working to alleviate your loneliness. God is with you when you're broken. Number three, oh, the brokenness of life. We all see it in, in pastoral work. Maybe I see it just a little bit more. People are broken over many things, but God is, is with us. Psalm 32, 18, I shared almost every funeral that I officiate because it's so powerful. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He's near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Maybe God is allowing brokenness to draw you back to him. Pastor John Piper says, God loves us so much that he will spare us nothing to get, up, uh, to get out of us what he really hates. In other words, the sin, the rebellion, the things going on in life that are not good for us and not glorifying to him. God will spare nothing to get those things out of us. Um, it's Father's Day, so I'm thinking of my dad today. Maybe you are too. We grew up on Bennett Road right over here in North Royalton, and it would be a Saturday morning, and my dad would get me up. We'd be doing something in the yard or the house, something, and he would send me down into the basement, into the corner shop, his little tool area. He was a tradesman, so all kinds of tools, and he would send me down for a specific tool, and I knew how to recognize tools and knew what they were, but I, I really tried, but I could never find the one that he sent me down there for. He had rows and rows and shelves and shelves of tools, and I could never find the one, and after about 10 minutes of searching, I would have to go up and embarrass and say, Dad, I couldn't find it. And with a good attitude, he would take me down there and find it in a second and show me what it was and show me how to use it. And maybe in our loneliness, we're looking for God. And we're wondering why we don't know where he is, where we, where we can find him. And it's not we're going to find him in the, in the tool corner, in the shop or the basement where all the tools are. Where we're going to find God in our loneliness is in his promises. Where we're going to find God in our loneliness is in his promises to never leave us, to never, never forsake us. God has made promises and is a God who has never broken a promise. So if you're looking for God in your loneliness, find him in his promises. I, I want to pray for those who are lonely this morning because I know there are many. This is not the end of the sermon. We'll pray at the end of the sermon too, but I want to pray right here. Will you pray with me? Father, you are truth. You are a healing balm. Remind us that you even raise those things that are dead. Not only can you heal the broken and the lonely, but those things that are unwanted too. Lord, in your ability, heal us today. Come to those that are lonely. Let us find you and let us join with the psalmist in saying, restore to us the joy of our salvation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And together we all say, Amen. God is with us in our future. This is fun to think about. God has been in our past. He's with us today, but God is also walking with us in our future. Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. In other words, we can plan what we want to do this afternoon, tomorrow, and on Wednesday, but it's really God who's with us 
in the future. God is with you in your future, planning your steps. And I don't know if these um, lists that I sometimes give are ever helpful in the sermons. And there's not a place for you to officially write them on your outline. But if you want to flip it over to the, to the blank side, and I'll leave the points up long enough for you to write down. These are seven ways to think about God being in your future and to really engage him. And the first is to be sure to pray. It doesn't seem like God always reveals his plans to us, and certainly doesn't, but he's a God of communication. Be in prayer with God about your future. Ask him to show you his plans for you for the future. Number two, consider the wisdom of your plans. Is it wise? Is what you have planned out a good thing? Is it a godly thing? Does it make any sense to run forward with your eyes shut? Check to see if it's a godly wisdom that you're engaging as you think about your future. Number three, get godly advice from others. People who you respect, godly people, people who know God's character, people who know God's word. Do they think it's wise, the direction that you're going forward to in your future? Number four, um, commit your plans to God. Be humble, completely submit. Say, Lord, here are my plans, but if they're not your plans, I hand them over to you. Do not be proud in heart. God is the author of life, and he knows what is best for us in the future. Number five, spend lots of time in God's word. Well, we say it around here a lot because it's that important. Read God's word. Learn his character from his word. Learn about your redemption through Christ from his word. Get to know God's intentions for you from his word. And number six, as you think about the future, focus on the present. Don't pass this second. God has given us wonderful gifts. He's given us the future, but he's also given us this very moment right now. Don't be so obsessed with the future that you're not enjoying his blessing and his grace in this moment. And finally, number seven, wait on the Lord. God always answers prayers. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says wait. And perhaps that wait answer from God is the most difficult one. But he's saying be patient. I have your plans laid out before you. We're familiar with the 23rd Psalm. We read it a lot. It's only six verses long. It seems longer than that, doesn't it, when we read it? But the very last verse of Psalm 23, the sixth verse, is all about this shepherd who is with us even in our future. You can recall it. The psalm writer says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me into the future all the days of my life, and I will what dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A number five, God is with us when times are great. I want to remind this of us, uh, remind that, remind us of that um, this morning. Ecclesiastes seven fourteen. God gives good times and He gives hard times. He gives us gives us the blessing times, but He also allows for the hard times. And and I see this in our society. Here we are in North America in twenty twenty two. Many of us are suffering and have difficult times, but many of us are overwhelmingly blessed. And I'm not so sure that the enemy is working to pull us away from God through brokenness and hardship, but maybe he's working to pull us away from God through prosperity. Through the fact that times are so good, we don't really need to rely on God that much. I've got a bank account. I've got a house with air conditioning. My car seems to be running. My health's relatively good. I know God's there, but do I really need, need him? Do I really rely on him? God is present even in our good times. Old Testament King Hezekiah, northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah, the kings of Judah. Hezekiah is one of them. He's a good king. He's a complicated man, a nuanced man. You should read his story. And he was enjoying great prosperity and great blessing from God. Actually, God even stopped the invasion of the Assyrians so that his land would be blessed. And how does this king, who is as human as the rest of us, respond? Hezekiah's heart was proud. And he did not respond to the kindness shown him. 
I see it in my own life. I, I see the blessings of God, and sometimes I tend to forget about them just because I seem to have it figured out. But God is with us in the good times, too. Thank God that good old King Hezekiah, who was a human like the rest of us and very sophisticated and complicated like the rest of us, he turned. The wrath of God came upon him in Judah and Jerusalem, but Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. So acknowledge God in the good days. Do it continuously. Do it in the prosperity. Do it in the blessings. Do it in the goodness of God. Don't let the goodness of God drive you away from him. Let, grateful, let gratefulness be your lifestyle. Live a life of gratefulness. Well, we spend a lot of time understanding how God is with us. How is it that we are with God? So I want to kind of turn it 180. God is with us in all these circumstances, but how is it that we have the right to be with him? And that's number six. We are with God because he abandoned Jesus. Said it a couple weeks ago that the one time that our loving Heavenly Father did not respond to the sincere cries of one of his beloved in distress was on the cross. His son is crying out for help to the Father. Father, help me. But the Father was not with him. We read about it in Matthew 27, 46, about the ninth hour, Jesus was on the cross and cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama samachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why in the one time of all of recorded history are you saying, I'm not going to be with one that I love? Why did that happen? Punishment. The punishment that you deserve, that I deserve for our sin, that all of the universe really deserves for its brokenness was poured out on the God-man Jesus. And he was abandoned as payment for all the sins that have been committed, that are being committed, that will be committed. The father abandoned the son as payment so that now we stand reconciled to the father because of his love. And that punishment, of course, killed Jesus on that first Good Friday. But three days later, Easter, and the tomb is empty, and we serve a living God. Jesus is resurrected. But let's not forget about why we have the right to be with this holy God, to be in his presence, that he would be with us in all circumstances. Jesus bought us that right with his own life. Jesus was crushed, so I didn't have to be. He was imprisoned, so I could go free. He was abandoned, so that I could enjoy the full presence of of the Father. In a few minutes, we'll come forward and enjoy this mystery. It's a mystery. How is Jesus in these elements, in this bread and this wine with his body and blood? Not sure, but he promised to be, so there's that promise again. We trust it. He will be with you in this meal. You'll come forward and enjoy it and receive the full benefits that Jesus bought for you on the cross in this holy meal. Jesus is with us in this meal. A couple of next steps for us as we wrap up this morning. If you think God is not with you, be reminded of his promises to never leave you or forsake you. He's a God of promises. He's a God who makes promises and has never broken one. Trust in the promises. Number two, take some time this week to thank him for his everlasting presence. Lord, thank you that you are with me. I don't deserve it. You're with me in the good times. You're with me in the bad times. You're with me in all times. And number three, even in these times of blessings and prosperity, if that's where you are, be near to God with a grateful and a dependent heart. It's hard to be dependent on God when he's really given you all you need, but truly be dependent on him in all that you are. Let's come together in prayer.
Father, thank you that you are a God that is everywhere. In every circumstance, you are with me when I am hurting so bad, I don't think I'm going to make it. And you're with me when I'm dancing. I'm so full of joy and rejoicing. And you're with me in the middle times too. Thank you for that promise. You are a God of promises. Let those in the room this morning who are hurting, who are lonely and broken, and can't seem to find you, trust in your promise. Let them come forward and receive your presence in this holy meal, this bread and this wine, this body and this blood, this nearness, this communion, this God with us in this sacrament. We are grateful, ultimately, Lord, for everything you've done. We, we give you the glory. We pray that your name might be known among the nations, Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And together we all say, amen.